Adjust your tracking and all the playlist podcasts are sponsored by Mubi, a curated online cinema streaming a selection of exceptional, independent, classic, and award-winning films from around the globe. Mubi's film experts handpick every single film they show. Each day they present a new gem and you have one month to watch it. Visit mubi.com slash the playlist to start a special three-day free trial. We thank Mubi for their sponsorship of this show and all other playlist podcasts. Now on to the show. Hello and welcome to a special archival episode of Adjust Your Tracking. I'm Eric McClanahan, co-host of the show, and I'm just repurposing an older episode from last year, uh, a segment from an episode last year, in which Joe and I talked about uh, Richard Kelly, specifically Donnie Darko and Southland Tales. Uh, why am I re-releasing this? Uh, well, it's it's good timing because Aero Video has done an amazing restoration, a 4K restoration, uh, and a digital theatrical release in some cities for Donnie Darko, which has been really cool. It's been happening over the last few weeks. But now their Blu-ray package that has both the theatrical and director's cut, fans of AYT know which one I prefer most. But this package uh, is finally coming out. Uh, it's been available for about a week, and you can find it anywhere uh, online that you would shop for Blu-rays. Shouldn't be a problem to find. And I gotta say, um, the Arrow video is right up there for me with the Criterion Collection in terms of the level of care they put into their video releases. And that's not just the restorations, but it's the cover art, it's the box quality, it's all the stuff the added value that they give you in their releases that make it um, just a a must-have, especially if you're a huge fan of Donnie Darko, as I am, and uh, me and Joe are here over at Adjust Your Tracking, and as you'll find out in our discussion. So why don't I just drop you into this special episode of Adjust Your Tracking, and we thank Arrow Video for this amazing release and for supporting this episode as well. Okay, that's enough of that. I'm going to drop you in to the show now. Here's me and Joe talking about Richard Kelly, Southland Tales, and of course, Donnie Darko. We've talked about Richard Kelly before, and I think other filmmakers where it's like, th- this film in particular, you and I both like have a fondness for Donnie Darko. Yes. And like talking about a filmmaker who's done something that we like so much and then gone on to do stuff that we're so baffled by <laughs> that it doesn't even like resemble the filmmaker that we initially sort of were excited about. <laughs> this and is so- true. And so you're, I mean, can we, can we come clean about the fact that you, like, you did want to talk about Southland Tales. Like, right. That, that was something you were interested in talking about. And I kind of asked you, like, well, do you, you've never really liked that movie. Like, <laughs> let's, can, let's see if we can rework this. But it's, I think they're kind of crucial to talk about in tandem with each other. Yes. It was like, much like... Um, well, let's before we like get into why it's sort of important to discuss them at the same time. Like, talk to me about like your first experience watching Donnie Darko. Yeah, yeah. Um, for me, it was a movie that I missed. I missed the brief, you know, blip of a theatrical release that it actually received at the mm-hmm. time. And you know, it was sort of infamous is the wrong word, but it, it was uh, kind of held back in terms of its release because it happened right after 9-11 essentially and right. it was one of those movies that had a, it featured a, a elements of a plane crash play a big factor as those of that who's seen the film know and they got scared about it so they held off on the release and it kind of just got buried and it it quickly um i think they started doing midnight screenings not long um like in the same year of its actual release 
And then it came on DVD where I discovered it. And it was one of those movies uh, in the early boom of, of DVD where it got passed around a lot and people talked yeah. about it like, yeah. And I just came across it through word of mouth, through other friends that had seen it, said, you need to check this movie out. And found it actually kind of underwhelming, confusing for sure the first time I watched it, but underwhelming. But it was one of those movies, and I almost feel like Donnie Darko for me, why it's an important movie for me, more than just uh, the fact that I love it, is that it created the sense that, like, oh, I want to feel that feeling again, that what is making me go back to this movie again and again? And that's what happened to me with with, uh, Donnie Darko, is I couldn't stop watching it, and... Uh, I was in college, so I had lots of time to like, you know, dig into films and stuff like that. I had time to to really do something to get into it and watch it again and again. And it became kind of an obsession, an obsession where like if I didn't watch it that week, I felt like weird. There was something new to discover every time I could or me and friends that just all appreciated it. Like we loved all the moments, the little moments here and there. Yeah. there there's a lot of weird little things um, that just occur in this movie. Lots of like the humor um, that I just... It's still, um, I don't know. I look back fondly at that time and I'm always hoping to like get sucked into a movie's world again and again like that. So yeah, I mean, I disappointed by first viewing became obsessed very quickly. And the more and more I watched it, I was like, to me, in my mind, this is like one of my favorite movies of the 2000s. Like I'll just, I'll always have it in that top 10 list of uh, movies from like, say 2000 to 2009. It's, it's up there for me. Um, so yeah, that's definitely my, my initial, like, you know, appreciation for the film. Um, how, how did it work for you? Did you get to see it in theaters like at the yeah. time? It, um, I remember it coming out and like, I, I think like in addition to getting bumped, they, they just sort of buried it when it came out. Like it, it came out in Portland and opened at the Fox tower and it just sort of like, I was like, what, like, what is that movie? I haven't like heard anything about it. And it sort of like, it looked like it was just going to disappear. And then it kept like hanging out. Like it went moved around the city. And then eventually I was just like, well, I mean, so there, there, there has to be something about it if it like didn't do well, but it still is like hanging in theaters. Mm-hmm. So eventually I just, I caught it on its like second run, like a, like I think a few months into its release, which like to think about that now, that's crazy. And to think about like how you watched it over and over again, that feels like a luxury of that period. Mm-hmm. And now like that there's just so many titles that it, it's almost like guilt inducing also with us getting older. It's just sort of like you're, you're not as prone to like watching a movie over and over again, the way you are when you are in college, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. the way we both were around that time. And um, so, like, when I saw it, it was, like, a, it was two months after it had come out. I think it was, like, in December. And uh, I loved it. And then it, like, it stayed in the second-run theaters for, like, months and months. It was at the, the pub theaters in Portland. And then, like, uh, I was working at a video store job, like, kept a copy that someone had mi- mistakenly returned to Blockbuster Video that they had meant for Hollywood Video. Both places <laughs> are now bankrupt, so I think I can, like, criminalize myself by saying that I, I kept a copy. Um, but, like, at that time, like, once it kind of came out on video, it really, like, boomed mm-hmm. because of word of mouth. Like, that's when the midnight screenings really, like, picked up steam. Yeah. And um, I remember seeing it in Seattle at um, the, I think it was the Egyptian at a midnight screening. It was packed, like insanely, like hundreds and hundreds of people. 
and they just like were eating it up because there is like such an atmosphere to the movie and there is such a sense of discovery to the film that it's like there is like in rewatching it there's like there's a there's an urgency to the movie that ties into the the kind of coming of age aspect to it mm. there's a, a sort of a, a sort of urgent propulsion to the movie but there also is a weird kind of dreamy easygoing ethereal quality to it there's an ominous presence that kind of like pulls the movie along in this sort of like dread inducing way but there's also like a weird ease and a sort of like northern california sunniness to everything that's like it's it's a it's a real discovery like the the world of the film that it's in it also came out in the early 2000s like where like the 80s nostalgia was getting a little more sophisticated mm-hmm. and so like Richard Kelly's fucking sound cues in the movie are so good yes. like they're so like the opening song which we can get in the director's cut yeah. in the, so <laughs> like the opening song by Echo and the Bunnyman the Killing Moon mm. it's so perfect and when he opens the door to Jenna Malone standing there and Love Will Tear Us Apart comes on like I think those songs were reintroduced in that period as nostalgia. And now they're so like, they're so given that you disregard how evocative those were in that, in that period, like in Mm -hmm. 2002 when people were seeing it, Mm -hmm. like it was just like a real like door being kind of like blown open for people. They're like, Whoa, this is like, this is really effective. (laughs) And then I think like once the movie really had like picked up like such a fanfare, which again, kind of hearkening back to the the Blair Witch discussion, like, can that ever happen again? Mm-hmm. Can that level of a movie being discovered that gradually over the course of a year ever happen again? Because it feels like movies, like, live and die in the opening weekend, or if they do get a chance on VOD, they're just buried in an avalanche of other stuff. Yeah. You know? And yeah. so, like, so... I, I think two years later, 2003 is when the director's cut came out. Mm-hmm. And that's where, that's where I think we can maybe pivot to Southland Tales because it was like, oh, no. Like this yep. is – there was – I remember trying to go to a free screening of it at the Hollywood Theater in Portland. Sold out. Couldn't get in. And then like it opened at Cinema 21 where you now work. And the line was all the way around the block to get in. Mm. And, like, I was like, oh, this is great. Like, when we got in, saw it, and, like, from the very beginning of the movie, like, and rewatching the theatrical cut, which you did watch the theatrical cut, not the director's cut. That's the only version I will watch now, yeah. Okay. Like, thinking about, because I watched Southland Tales first and then Donnie Darko, because I just, I didn't, I just didn't want to do that to myself. (laughs) So, Donnie Darko, the opening shot. It's like a beautiful, it's, it's, it's a, such a beautiful entry point. It's this vista of like the, I think it's filmed in Northern California. I don't know though. For, uh, for well, certain. it's set in uh, Virginia, I believe. And I think he actually shot it. You might be right, actually. I'm not sure where they shot it actually, but it's supposed to be set in the East Coast. Okay. All right. So it's just like these beautiful tree lined mountains mm-hmm. and then it pans over and you see someone, you see a figure just like slumped in the road. So it's like, oh, there's, it's a kid, and his bike is to the side of him. Was he hit by a car? No, he's waking up. So he's in the like he's waking up in the middle of like where we don't know yet. It's a perfect mystery point to start a movie, and it was just like, oh, all of it's here, like all, and it's a perfect entry point. That song kicks in, the title comes up. With the director's cut, could be a similar opening, 
song is different. Yeah, it's totally another slows slows down the pace of the movie yeah. immediately. It's a great song. It's an NXS song. Um, never tear us apart, but right. it's just got a like a and it's just like it's sluggish it's not right it's not right for the movie that i loved and so like <laughs> thinking about that and that it, it if given the opportunity what would richard kelly do if he didn't have people to answer to which is the opposite of what we're talking about with like nicholas winning Refn. Mm. like if given free reign to do what he wants is that the best thing with certain circumstances because then you get to southland tales years and years later this epic like in his eyes magnum opus this like <laughs> this like huge orgiastic psychedelic satire of america of hollywood of just like excess and the opening sequence is so much fucking exposition that like there is no way to recover <laughs> and so just opposing the two where i was just like it's justin timberlake narrating what like the puzzle pieces you need to put this movie together Southland Tales and eventually by like I think it's like I honestly think it's like five minutes of exposition where you're just looking at the computer screen yeah more (laughs) and you're just like I don't care like start the movie like have an interesting point the way Donnie Darko does the theatrical cut you're like Mm. perfect you have like a provocative entry point into the world and like Southland Tales. I know that I know that you wanted to discuss it because it's considered such a mess, mm-hmm. and it was just like. And then as I was rewatching, I was like, "Right, like this is why I don't attach to it as like." But it really goes for it because the movie is so dull. Like, yeah, it is so like it's expensive, which like is a sort of sad marvel at this point where you're just like. <laughs> I can't believe this much money went into something that is this sort of like wrong headed and all over the place. But what's repulsive about the movie to me is that it's so self congratulatory. It's like it struts itself so much as this thing. That's like, this is brilliant. Oh, I can't wait for you guys to get a load of the holy shit. And like, that's why I don't think it can really ever be considered misunderstood because it was like, yeah, but it like the way it like puffs itself up is so repugnant. Yeah. No, I mean you really you you hit the nail on the head with Southland Tales there. It's like it's weird that it has in its own way just slowly eking out a bit of a like minor cult uh fandom for this movie where people do think it's this misunderstood masterpiece. And often what I'll hear is like, oh, it's just, it's so crazy. It throws so much at the wall that even the stuff that doesn't stick, like these fans appreciate that. And that was kind of the basis of me initially thinking, well, it's not a true hold up pick, but to examine Southland Tales, I've always wanted to see it a second time just to, just to see if it is as bad as I remember with all the anticipation of loving Donnie Darko, grow, you know, getting that, becoming a real fan, like a hardcore fan of that, of that first film from Richard Kelly. I'm like, whatever this guy does next. And the buildup for it was so exciting, even with the director's cut being a pretty big disappointment for me with uh, Donnie Darko. I still held up hope. I bought the prequel comic books that you were supposed to read uh, beforehand which don't elucidate anything for the audience. I read every little detail about it online. Oh, wow. Yeah, man. I was really excited. It was going to the Cannes Film Festival in competition. I was like, this is it. This director that I think is brilliant 
is getting recognized on a grand stage and uh man it watching it a second time there's nothing that's changed for me in terms of the the sluggish pace in it the things that make donnie darko the theatrical cut like come to life and crackle just all of that's gone and that's really with everything that richard kelly has done since and that includes the director's cut of donnie darko where he added a lot more stuff into it where it's like oh yeah, yeah left untethered left to his own devices this is more what he wants to do and it's made me realize a few things is like having someone give you notes in the sense that like Donnie Darko, he had to take things out and find a way to make it work theatrically. That can be a really good thing. You know, like auteur theory needs to give way sometimes to the collaborative aspects of filmmaking because it can make the movie the best version that it needs to be. And I think that's, that's what happened with the original Donnie Darko version is it was like, it wasn't just Richard Kelly's unfiltered vision. He needed other people to chime in but yeah, he needed to be challenged. He needed to be challenged, exactly. It's it's a similar thing, but on a much smaller scale to like what George Lucas was able to, what he did with the prequels in Star Wars. Right. Yeah, left with all the money to do whatever he wants and, and no one had questioned him. That's kind of what you get. You get a mess from him as a filmmaker. Like a lot of us don't like those movies for that reason. Like sometimes people don't know what works about the thing that's so cherished. So like George Lucas doesn't know what people love about star Wars. So he gets, he's like more Muppets and like, you know, like CGI is a bunch more like, like nightmarish creatures into his movie. And with like Richard Kelly, he just thinks that like his high concepts of like parallel universes and like, and bogging down a story with like just just too 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 many stories like that's what that's what people love about me like no that's not what people love about you like what's so beautiful about Donnie Darko is kind of an intangibility there's yes. like there's a sense of like an amazing ensemble like this this great discovery you have Holmes Osborne as the father so which in rewatching Donnie Darko it's so fucking heartbreaking to watch him in Southland Tales because he's lost he's not given <laughs> anything to do uh huh. And the entire cast are not starring in the same movie. Mm-hmm. Like, they're all in different, like, bug-eyed versions of whatever the fuck they think they're starring in. Except, if I may digress. Yes. I think there was one performance in Southland Tales that, like, if you focus the entire movie on this character and on this performance, it's Sean William Scott. Yeah. Yeah, I was going to... fucking great in this movie. Mm-hmm. Like, he's, like, got a connection an emotional vulnerability and like in a groundedness that's absent of everyone else in the movie. Who's just clowning up the entire film. Yeah, man. God, I, I've had the same feeling rewatching. I, I definitely didn't feel that when I first saw Southland tales in theaters, like I was just Southland so theaters. I did man. Like opening, opening <laughs> day, man, that was how excited I was. Holy I didn't, shit. I didn't care about all the negative press that had come, you know, from its premiere at Cannes. And uh, just a note, there's a really great Hollywood Reporter article uh, from earlier in the summer this year that just gets into that. Uh, the 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 making of Southland Tales and the premiere at Cannes, like where Richard Kelly claims it was very much unfinished. Apparently it was shown with unfinished effects and things like that, which that happens sometimes. Like if yeah, people, sure. Yeah. So that's unfortunate, but it's a really fascinating article worth digging into. But that's what sort of brought me back to thinking about all this. But um, but yeah, I, I seen uh, Southland Tales. I did the same thing. I watched it first before revisiting Donnie Darko, which was a good decision because, yeah, it's it's a slog, that movie. And it really shows how um, as much as I love the script of Donnie Darko, I think 
the cast is so perfect in Donnie Darko and everybody knows the movie they're making. The tone is consistent through it all that they're allowed to give consistent performances and everybody really brings their, like their a game. Like Patrick Swayze is so perfectly cast in Donnie Darko and it's not just kitschy, like stunt casting, which is all of Southland tales. It's all stunt casting. Totally. It's stunt casting. And then nobody's in the same movie. It's a mess tonally. And it's also just laden so much exposition. The script is just just weighted down by all this exposition that actually doesn't explain anything useful to the audience. It's it's well, and it doesn't none of those plot points that like are this insane convoluted like puzzle. None of them go anywhere. <laughs> so and like, true. And I, I hear whoever is a huge proponent of this movie. Like, that eternal, annoying, like, that's the point. Like, that's such an awful, garbagey point, especially for something as fucking exhaustingly long and wasteful <laughs> as Southland Tales is. There now is, like, any disaster of a movie, there's a built-in kind of cynical reflex that's, like... And I, sometimes that's endearing when there there is a sort of rush to declare something that's, like widely dismissed as like you don't understand it like there's something sweet about that occasionally but i also think it's like by the same token it could be so cynical and now there's like because we're on the 10-year anniversary i think of the the can screening of Mm -hmm. southland tales like there was a san francisco like revival screening of it where like you know richard kelly came to talk and it's just so i think it's it everything does have its kind of like second life or mm-hmm. can you know as much as you think as much as we talk about stuff just getting buried in an avalanche like there still is there there still is an audience no matter how small that's going to be like you don't get it <laughs> and yeah and it. i saw it twice now and i <laughs> had the same hateful response <laughs> exactly you know i i like that too i think that's sort of a beautiful thing that like is splintered as we're all becoming as a movie culture of the things we're into that is sort of a beautiful sort of hopeful element to it that like hey i'm glad that people have g- genuinely found some some appreciation to be had for the movie and that was what, why i really wanted to just see it again because i'm open to a movie i've changed since that movie came out i want to see if right. the movie feels different works on a different level but yeah i mean yeah, I, I probably think it's even a more in my mind, like legitimately just such a mess of a movie. And it's it's a, it's a sad thing because I uh, I thought Donnie Darko was an, the announcement, the arrival of a really brilliant director. And I think Richard Kelly is talented as hell. I think he's extremely smart, but I don't yeah. think he knows how to lay out all the ideas he has in his head into something coherent. And the director's cut of Donnie Darko shows that Southland Tales shows that. And his uh, the worst movie he's made, we're not even discussing, was his bid for mainstream uh, kind of accessibility with The Box, which was a remake of a Twilight Zone episode. Do you did you yeah. do you even remember that movie? I mean, it's like I feel like nobody I really remember coming out. I actually never saw it, but oh, uh, it's bad, man. It's really like talk, and it's it's very similar issues of tons of exposition. A a very like sluggish pace that just seems all wrong. You know, like it feels off right away. And that's, what's borne out every time Richard Kelly's had like full control with, with, uh, with these films. And I, I think it's a shame that he hasn't really been able to work on anything since it's, I'm sure he's been at it and trying. Um, I just wonder if like television, like in this era of like, you, you can plug all these people who there's just not enough film work necessarily as many, 
as much as so many films are coming out, there's just there isn't the same kind of machinery at work as there is in television. So you can plug all these filmmakers that you like into like, you know, kind of interesting work. And it's just like if he could be pared down to where he had to concentrate on episodes, you know, and can kind of figure out what works because he, yeah, he just convolutes like his material and he doesn't, I think there was just a real kind of like lightning in a bottle moment of like having the cast he did, having the sort of producers he was working with on Donnie Darko that sort of pared everything down to its essential. Mm -hmm. And you have like a, a sort of, it's a really interesting coming of age movie paired with this crazy science fiction head trip, you know? And it's like, it's a puzzle of a movie in a way that like, I don't give a fuck what the puzzle amounts to in Southland Tales. I don't want to put it together. It's too annoying. <laughs> so Whereas true. like Donnie Darko is the opposite where it's just like you, you kind of like ponder over it and it's like, it's darkly humorous. It's sweet. It's like romantic. It's beautiful. It's scary at times. Yeah. Yeah. There's a real great marriage of like a David Lynch nightmarish tone in there too. And mm-hmm. it is dreamy at the same time. The, the amalgam that Richard Kelly is like, can't avoid doing in his work. Like he wants it's That's the ideas that are pouring in it. It, it has only worked in that version of Donnie Darko. And it there it's, it was yeah. really, I was a little nervous cause it had been a long time since I had just watched it. You know, once you obsess over a movie for a, in a brief period of time, you, you go, you got to let it cool a little bit, like exist mm-hmm. in your memory. And it was really refreshing last night to put it on. I, I was, pretty tired after a travel day coming back to Portland watched it late at night. And I just, I was like woke up by it again because all of the things really work in it. That casting is so perfect. All the stuff we talked about, but it was just very refreshing to, to be like, yeah, this movie truly like holds up for me. It's, it's a great movie, but one that might've been an accidental great movie by, by a director that I still think is figuring out how best to work in the, in the system. So uh, it, yeah. it it would be really interesting to see him work in TV and maybe, maybe he should try to adapt something like a Philip K. Dick story, a uh, friend of the show and fellow podcaster, uh, Octay Kozak, uh, it w- was, uh, just talking last night to me about how much he, he is annoyed that Richard Kelly is always ripping off Philip K. Dick story ideas. And, right. and, and Kelly's never been, uh, he's always been open. Like he talks about his, his, his appreciation for his work, but um, maybe he needs to do something like that and just see how it can work because with well, not with, yeah, being untethered might not be the best way for him. Well, cause you, you clearly see what's unfortunate is I think that like Southland tales took so long to get made that um, there's elements of Sean William Scott's story in it um, where he's, he's playing twin brothers, you think, one of which is a cop, and then the other is pretending to be him as the cop. So there's this dualistic split. And there's actual, like, effects in it where his, like, his perspective is starting to warp. And so it's directly lifting from Scanner Darkly. Right. And, like, he, I think he eventually even quotes a title of a Philip K. Dick book by saying, Flow the Tears. Oh, like, right. Flow the Tears, the policeman said. Right. And it was just, like... At this point, like because the movie took so exhaustingly long to get out there, Scanner Darkly was already made. So it's just like it was two two years later that I think Southland Tales came out on DVD. It was like a year after Scanner Darkly came out when it came out theatrically. And it was just like and it had this political commentary that was seemed so dated by the time it came out because we had seen uh, American politics satirized for years and years through the daily show, through the Colbert report. And it was so smart and so nuanced day after day 
that like what like when you br- when you brought it out in like 2007 you really had to like pare it down and have it be like focused to actually be super sharp in a way that was competitive with everything else mm, yeah you know what i mean like i do man yeah so it's just like it's it's just too bad that it like i think he does need to pare it down i think he does need to like sharpen his focus and maybe it is an adaptation like unfortunately the box was an adaptation of like a Richard Matheson story and he just like overburdened it clearly from what you're saying with like too much stuff. Mm-hmm. Someone needs someone. He needs those producers to rip it away from him and be like, no, 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 you know what you're doing. We just have to tell you. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're pulling for you still, Richard Kelly. Let's uh, we'll, we'll see what the future entails for him. But yeah, it was, it was great to, to just be reminded of how great Donnie Darko still is. And uh not so great, but uh, you know, I'm glad I gave it a shot. Self Entails still. Me too. Still yeah, it, it does. It does pop back up as something where it's like, oh, you really need to take a second look, and it's like, okay, fine. So we did. We took a second look. <laughs> we did. We we came. We saw a second time, and we still hate. So oh well. Mm-hmm. All you right. Throw that back. <laughs> totally.